This Three Beards Media podcast is sponsored by Revelton Distilling Company. When Rob and Christy Taylor started following the Kentucky Bourbon Trail in 2012, they fell in love with not only bourbon, but the entire distilling process. Just eight short years later, in 2020, Revelton Distilling Company was opened, offering an entire family of products, including vodka, gin, whiskey, and Revelton Shine. Come visit the tasting room at 1400 West Clay Street in Osceola, Iowa, where you can sample one of their many spirits, including four gold medal winners. Can't make it to Osceola today? Not a problem, as you can pick some up at your local Hy-Vee or Fairway grocery stores. Follow Revelton Distilling on Twitter or Instagram at ReveltonDC or their website www.reveltondistilling.com. This Three Beards Media podcast may contain mature themes, and if you're not down with that, we got three words for you. Like the podcast. Nailed it! Would you like to sample some of my nuts? Someday you're going to do that. I'm going to hit leave meeting instead of got it. That's what I'm going to do. I swear to God. <laughs> okay. Excellent. All right. <clears throat> Hello and welcome back to yet again another edition of Old Man Strength, a podcast of Three Beards Media and brought to you by Revelton Distilling Company and Wintrust Mortgage. I am Tim Johnson, joined as always by Chris Shipley. Chris. How are we doing this evening? We are doing well. I got one kid out of the house, two more to go in two more weeks, and then I'll have some freedom again. <laughs> I'm super excited. <laughs> Did Caitlin actually actually uh, uh, fly the coop? Is she uh, is she out? Is she teaching or what? Yeah, uh, she her first day was today. She doesn't get students until like next week, but she got an early move in. I'm telling you, the kids should go buy a lottery ticket. She got a call that her apartment that she had reserved. Uh, is not was not going to be ready on time so they had another one that was bigger on the second floor she could get it early and it was going to be the same price so we moved her in about a week ago so oh yeah no jump on that that's perfect yeah so uh got her out uh got my basement back uh and now the boys move in two weeks and then i'll have some peace and quiet around here (laughs) (laughs) uh the boys of course if you did listen to the last episode of old man strength uh a lot of energy, so I'm sure you can understand what Chris means by peace and quiet. That's uh, right. <laughs> Joshua and Jordan are are um, full of a lot of love and a lot of spirit, and I think I'll just leave it at that. Um, that sums it up perfect. <laughs> yeah, no, man, I, 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 I get it. I, uh, you and I were talking before we started. My transmission went out on my car. And uh, while the podcast game pays a lot of big bucks, the brewing game does not. (laughs) So I have not been able to find something uh, super affordable. So if anyone out there listening has some 
some good leads on an affordable car uh, that does not cost too much, but still gets me from A to B, please hit me up. I would appreciate yeah. that. We, we may on this podcast, we can probably afford a nice slightly use you go. <laughs> um, also, if you are listening to this podcast and you didn't, uh, did not understand the Yugo reference, you are already too young. Uh, right. So anyway. Which brings um, us to our guest, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, that is, that is a pretty good segue. So Chris, I will go ahead, as usual, let you introduce who our guest is this evening. Well, uh, again, uh, we're so appreciative of, uh, of the people that come on, and, uh, and this guy uh, came on on short notice. Uh, it, I think I looked, I asked him if he'd be interested in coming on probably close to eight or nine months ago. And this is how quickly we've gotten to him, but, uh, <laughs> uh Jared Stransberry, uh, cyclone fanatic, uh, overall, uh, basketball aficionado and guru of all cyclone sports. Uh, thanks for coming on with us. Yeah. I appreciate you guys having me, man. It's, uh, it's been a long time coming as, as you noted. I know, right. My bad. I, no time no, gets away from good, us man. man it's a summer yeah. but uh, no i get this, it you you know i get it for sure yeah well yeah you know, jared i i can't imagine that you're terribly busy though it does not seem like you have a whole lot going on um <laughs> <laughs> especially now as we do kind of get in ramped up to to just about everything there it seems like there's there's some exciting news whether it be a a, a recruit on the football side on the basketball side on anything it seems like uh news is dropping daily i have to imagine you've been uh keeping yourself fairly busy yeah it's uh it's kind of crazy so when i first started doing this it seemed like when uh you know this was maybe when i was a senior in college or even those first two years that i was out of college when you would get to that point right at the end of spring football in like mid-april and then there would be until maybe mid-July before it. I mean, it would be really slow all mm -hmm. of the time. Like there'd be days where it's like, man, I don't know what I'm going to do today for, uh, for whatever. And, you know, now it, it's every day, there's something new that comes up, whether it's like you said, with recruiting or, you know, conference realignment or, uh, you know, the transfer portal, obviously threw a, a big wrench into a lot of things for us, for everybody, I think during the spring, but uh, it's a lot of fun though. Still, you know, I, I don't think that it, uh, it changed the job any, it just made the summers a lot uh, crazier than I think we are used to them ever being. So why don't you go ahead for our listeners that may not be familiar with, with what you do, why don't you go ahead and kind of tell us a little bit about, uh, uh, who you are and what you do. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess my technical title is, uh, the managing editor, uh, I, I'm really just the, the lead reporter for the site on football and men's basketball. So I cover the teams on a daily basis. You know, I, I'm uh, working to cover recruiting, covering all of those things. Uh, and then, you know, working on daily content, writing columns, recording podcasts, doing all of those things. I host a couple of different podcasts on the, on the network and uh, then do a lot of, you know, radio stuff wherever. I've obviously been on KXNO a lot, have done a lot of uh, stuff on radio stations all around the country and uh, just try to, uh, you know, try and create content on a daily basis that people want to listen to and, and want to read. You talked a little bit about conference realignment and how that's kind of filled up your summer. I was curious, I was thinking about this um, the other day, conference realignment for Iowa State fans is not anything new. Uh, we've dealt with it, uh, you know, several years ago when uh, Missouri 
and Colorado and those teams left. And then of course, last year when, when Oklahoma and Texas left. And I, I thought about Cyclone Fanatic and, and your guys's network and, and thought, were you nervous when those happened and about what that would do maybe to your business and, and to your outlook of things? And then what, what looks different this time? Because I, I don't think that it's much of a falling off the cliff feel this time as opposed to the last two times. Yeah, I think definitely last year there was probably some concern. I So here's the thing. Like, I know you guys have had you guys have had Chris Williams on here before, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yep. This, and this is something this is nothing to, like against. I'm not going to like trying to knock Chris or anything like this. It's just me and him are a little bit different. I'm not near, uh, I think, as pessimistic as he is. And sometimes <laughs> <laughs> like, that's, anybody who, anybody that's, called, that's called old age. That's what yeah. that's called. No, I, like I get it. I, I definitely get it. But I think, yeah. uh, you know, anybody who's listened to Chris knows just how he can be in some with some of those kinds of things. And that, you know, I would say I was certainly concerned because he made me concerned, you know, the way that he would talk about things that would make me nervous. But I also have always kind of had a feeling that things would work out, you know, and I don't know, that's kind of how a lot of I, I don't know if it's like the if it's a good mindset to have or not, but I just have a very everything's going to work out mindset that, you know, sometimes you can try and do everything that you possibly can. And uh, you know, sometimes things just aren't going to work out, but they're going to, you know, everything's going to end up in, you're going to be in the right position that you're supposed to be in at the end of the day. So like, that's where with those things, when te- Oklahoma and Texas left, even you could go back to when, when COVID hit and we didn't know if they were going to have football and, and you, we just didn't know what was even going to be happening for all this time. And where it's mm-hmm. like, you're looking at a, the potential of having a full calendar year where you can't create good content there. The cyclones aren't there to cover or do any of those kinds of things. How do you continue to run a business? And uh, you know, I just, I think I've always had this feeling that because I know that we put in the work and I know that how hard Chris works, I know, you know, how hard I work, how hard Connor works, like we would be able to work it out and make it work. But, and that's for, again, like, I think when this stuff happened with UCLA and USC this year, like, you know, not that there's certainly always that little, like, can I swear? Yeah. Oh, yeah okay. Yeah. It's okay. So it's like, there's always that little, like, holy shit moment, you know? where you're not necessarily panicking but you're also like holy shit like where the hell did this come from you know Mm -hmm. and and I know with USC and UCLA I think a lot of people had known for a long time like that was the potential move and you know it was more of like a wind does the hammer drop and so when it finally dropped it was still kind of like oh man like now here we go you know like now this next this thing's really gonna uh, pick up some pace here for a little bit and um but I never felt near as scared for Iowa State or with the position Iowa State would be in or nervous about it because I felt like they'd really done a good job to solidify the league with the four additions that they'd already made. And it just seems like the league is much more unified. I think the message that the league portrays is much more unified. And, you know, even if that means Iowa State is not in the Big 12 or not necessarily one of the power two, you know, I had a pretty confident feeling that they'd be able to navigate that and still be relevant on the national scene and uh you know now it'll just be interesting to see how of all of those things kind of shake out over the next several years because i think there's still a lot of things and a lot of dominoes to fall in the in the times to come i i think for for some people i think that there there have been two things at play one was just the fact that now there are less egos in the league like certainly when nebraska took off for the big 10 
uh, how many ever years ago now that's been? That feels like like a lifetime ago. That was a, in 2010. It was when I was a sophomore in high school. I grew up in a, as a Nebraska fan. So okay, okay, yeah. uh, stop making me feel old. But still, so that when yeah. that happened, it's gonna um, be a long night. I think, uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, I think, I think for a lot of us, uh, there was a sense that there was this overweening ego that Nebraska had that, Oh, they were one of the drivers of the league and we saw them go off to the big 10 and not have success in the big 10. I, me personally, I thought they were going to go and dominate the big 10 and they didn't. And I think for, for the remaining members, and I'm particularly thinking of like the K States of the world, mm-hmm. um, the Oklahoma States of the world, not Oklahoma, like these other very good programs, very good kind of well-established programs that have had success on both a basketball and a football level, but have also, you know, had to sit back and not be able to, to puff their chest as much. I think I, there's a, there was a sense of relief when Nebraska was gone rather than a, Oh no, what are we going to do without them? Um, I think with Oklahoma and Texas, it is a little bit different where you do realize, you know, maybe there is to not to bring up old uh, fodder here, Chris, but like where there really is brand, national brand, (laughs) uh, where Oklahoma and Texas do mean something and what that means for the league. But I I appreciate what you're saying about that there is uh, just a sense that the league itself uh, is more cohesive because those egos are out of there. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's probably fair. And I, you know, I don't know, like, I don't even know the best way to put it. I think it's the mindsets, maybe the mindsets that they have of generally coming off like they think they're better than everybody else in the league. I think that it's good to get that out of the way. And I think, I think too, that maybe the other teams that were the the eight schools that were left behind in the league got a pretty rude awakening of where some people thought that they stood in in college athletics you know Mm -hmm. and what and what they meant and I think that was a the kind of thing that they could kind of rally around of like okay now we got to prove them wrong I mean and yeah 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 no I was gonna say I think I think back in 94 to 96 when the Southwest Conference was falling apart and you you saw A&M in Texas go one way and you saw SMU and, and he, like you saw these other schools go another way. And I think there was a very kind of a very clear dividing line between the haves and have nots when yeah. uh, the Southwest Athletic or the, yeah, the Southwest Athletic Conference broke up. And I think people are still trying to look at conference realignment through that lens. And I don't think that lens applies anymore. I think that's fair, but I think at the end of the day too, like you look at a place like Texas and they have so much money. It's like, how did, I mean, how do you not act the way that they do sometimes, you know, like they, I mean, they've just got so much money, you know, and the way that they throw money at coaches, the way they throw money into facilities or whatever it is, you know, how things are being thrown into NIL now at this point. Like, I just think it's one of those things where I don't know that I can necessarily blame them. That doesn't mean that I like it, you know, but like (laughs) if you can you can see how they would formulate that mindset and how they would get to that position that they have landed at again like not that that makes it right or that not that that means that you know everybody has to agree with it but it's like I kind of get it you know and so I think I think the issue for the league at the at when it comes to Texas is that from the day that Texas walked in the door Oklahoma 
you know, kind of shifted immediately to their side. And I think that was a lot of where the issues came between Nebraska and Texas is that Nebraska felt that they should have had an ally in the Oklahoma, you know, all the way back into the nineties where they'd been locked at the hip for a really long time. But you have to understand too, a lot of the history of those things, like Oklahoma was not good at football at the time. Nebraska obviously was winning national championships. I think there were a lot of motivation to slow people down and slow things down and prevent certain things that people were doing. And Texas was the ones behind a lot of those things. And that's where, you know, over 20 years, those kinds of things just boil up. And then and the reality is then after that, what did the other big 12 schools have as another option besides bowing down to Texas, you know? So it's like, if they were going to be able to keep their league together and keep the, the monetary rights the way that they were. So that's where it's just, t- it's like, I don't envy anybody who has to do these things and be in these boardrooms, you know, it, yeah, I, yeah, it would be no, really hard to all. navigate all of these things and, and to be able to keep them quiet at the same time as much as you can too. That, that's an interesting analysis of, of Oklahoma. Um, and I think it's spot on. I don't think anyone has necessarily talked about that because for, I, I think for the last 20 years, frankly, Oklahoma has been the top dog of the big 12 but not the leader of the big 12 if you know what i mean like they know it's it's sort of like old school the television show survivor when we first learned about developing alliances right like it's literally what they have learned is i am the one to win this but the way for me to win this is to form a strategic alliance with someone with a lot of power and i think that's where oklahoma's kind of been where and and let that other team take all the shots. I think let them take all yeah. the heat. You know what I mean? I at Texas is hated um, in in this move by them. Texas is the one that's gotten the most hate and vitriol. And Oklahoma did the same thing, but nobody seems to hate them as much as Texas. I think the thing that I'll say about Oklahoma is that I I have a lot of respect for Oklahoma because they have a lot of success in a lot of different stuff, specifically on the football field. But then. I mean, their basketball team's always good. Their women's basketball program's always good. Their baseball program's always good. Like, I can respect an athletic program that is top to bottom really, really good all the time, especially in those big money sports. And that's where my thing with Texas comes in is it's like, I don't know that Texas backs it up enough on the courts and fields sometimes to be able to make some of these moves that they do. That's just what I don't understand about what, like, the SEC did with their move and things like that where – yeah, I mean, you get this big national brand in Texas that's got fans all over the place, but does your product really get any better? You just have a, you just have laundry because the players haven't been near good enough to be able to win at the level that you have. They they seem to expect to. So, I don't know. That was kind of a rambling answer, but that was no, uh, I, yeah. That's I was. I think I think I, one thing that Oklahoma has done better than Texas is that Oklahoma has been. Uh, more loyal to coaches across the board than Texas has. Texas kind of had that same Nebraska chip on their shoulder. This guy is not good enough, even though he's really good. And they've they've been. It, it, I mean, it's been a, a, a carousel since Mac Brown left. Yeah, I was uh, just gonna make that same analogy, Tim. That, right. Yeah, that they're almost on the precipice of 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 what Nebraska is of chasing glory from years past and living in the past and. And although they have the money and they had the facilities to get out of it and the support, they don't seem to be able to find that combination again. To the get crazy thing is they are. that seems like an advantage they would have over Nebraska is like the glory years they're chasing are not that long ago. Like to get yeah. back to the level they yeah. were even at from 
you know, I don't know, 2000 until, or maybe like 1998 or somewhere around there until 2011. I mean, didn't they yeah, play the, for the national championship in 2010, I think? So yeah, Vince yeah, Young yeah. years. Yeah, so. yeah, and then won a national championship with Vince Young. So it's like, it's it doesn't seem like they should have, that job should be near as hard as what it is. But I think that there's just, after a certain period of time and so many coaches fail, you have to wonder if there's just underlying culture things that prevent them from getting over the point that they're at right now. Well, I mean, I, I think I, I'm not saying that Texas A&M went to the sec and lit it up. Uh, but I will say that a move like A&M moving to the sec certainly changed the recruiting landscape. Mm -hmm. Texas is obviously this recruiting hotbed, but now that opened up a whole other pipeline into the SEC for these recruits that that maybe some of those recruits that would have gone to Texas over AM or Tech or whatever, all playing in the same conference are now on a completely different stage. Because whether or not we want to agree or admit it, the SEC is still kind of the limelight for college football. It's still certainly what what NFL scouts are looking at, whether or not it makes sense, translates onto the next level. But I think I think uh what got Texas success up until 2010 uh, to what could continue to bring success changed because the landscape of college football changed. Yeah. I mean, I think the the one thing about the STC that they're going to have is a significant fan advantage over anybody now is that, I mean, the state of Texas is most assuredly going to be an, basically an SEC state, you know, even though it'll have big 12 schools there as well, but, you know, SEC will be number one all across the board. And then obviously they've already got Florida as well. That's basically the same way. So it's like, you're going to be hitting Atlanta. They're going to have that Georgia area as well. That produces a lot of players. And that's where I think that it's just going to be interesting to watch how recruiting changes, you know, and how many more kids can Alabama go into Texas and get than Maybe they could before. I think some of those schools in the SEC too could recruit anywhere that they wanted to regardless of, of what state kids were from uh, anyway, but it's just, it will be interesting to watch. I think it's been a lot of fun just to see the entire, it's, it's fun to watch it, but at the same time, it's like, man, this stuff is really stupid sometimes. <laughs> so, so as you look at the, the incoming big 12 schools and the continued realignment, it certainly feels like we're not done. Right. Um, but what are you excited about with the incoming big 12 schools? I spring, think they bring some uniqueness to the league, you know, and that's what I think is makes the league kind of fun is that it's kind of random. Like there's just kind of some schools that are, you know, not, nobody is that big name brand. It's just, there's like, they're just kind of a bunch of random schools, you know, and, but they all have their own thing and their own uniqueness that makes them what they are. And, you know, I think UCF will be intriguing with just being in Orlando and and that's you know I have seen it on TV that looks like an incredible place to go and, and watch a football game and uh you know obviously they've had a lot of great great success and then Cincinnati I mean opening that door into Ohio to maybe make that more of a big 12 recruiting ground than what it was previously and uh you know obviously they've had a lot of success in, in football and men's basketball and just uh you know going to the playoff last year and, and everything with that but then you know Houston just uh, has had a lot of success. I'm, I'm excited for Dana Holgerson to have to come back to Ames. That will be, uh, that will certainly be interesting. And then, uh, BYU is an, it is just, I don't know what BYU is interesting to me. And I just think that that whole dynamic will be, will be kind of intriguing to watch how BYU interacts with the rest of the league and 
what it's like for the big toe schools to go and play uh, football there and play uh, basketball in their arena, because those environments are really hostile. Mm. And uh, it just, it, I think that all four of them bring something fun to it, you know, and that's where I just think the big 12 is going to be really fun. And that's where I hope, you know, what Brett Yormark is doing and what those and what the big 12 office is doing with their media rights and things like that is looking for ways to make the league more fun and make the league really stand out as just being kind of unique. And it's just like, we're just a bunch of schools that play really fun football and play really gritty basketball. And it's like, if you want to come and play fun football, then come play in the big 12. And if you want to come in, you want to come and knock somebody out on the basketball court and you want to play really tough physical basketball where you've got to really learn to defend and play discipline, then you want to come and play in the big 12 with some great coaches and, uh, and for some great programs. So that's what, that's what gets me excited about it is I just think that it makes the league better as a whole top to bottom and makes it more fun and unique. Yeah. I, as much as I love football and I'm looking forward to some of those new games and those new opponents, I'm more intrigued. I think, as them coming in as a basketball conference big 12 is obviously the best basketball conference i think going right now and to bring in those different environments to go play in uh and incorporating those other teams i think is going to be a unique challenge for it and i think it's going to bring a good brand of basketball yeah for sure i mean obviously you know the big 12 already has each of the last two national champions but then you add in houston who's been to a final four uh ucf you know, they really pushed that team that Zion with Zion at Duke a couple years ago uh, to the brink in the NCAA tournament. Uh, Cincinnati has obviously been really good all the way back to when Bob Huggins was their coach back in the 90s. And that will be that will be fun to watch uh, Bob Huggins having to go back to Cincinnati for what I would imagine was the first time since uh, everything went down between them 20 years ago or whatever it was. And then, uh, like I said, BYU is a hornet's nest. Iowa State went and played there you know, whatever, mm. almost 10 years ago now, but yeah. uh, I know that there was a lot of memorable things that came out of those games. So it makes I the know. league better. Like, yeah, it makes the league better. It makes the league deeper. And uh, man, that's just like, I'm sure every big 12 coach <clears> is just sitting there like, gosh, dang it. Why'd you guys have to do this to me the, and make this thing even harder than what it already is. <laughs> I believe that was the Melvin Elgin uh, middle finger game. It was. <laughs> yeah, it was. It absolutely was. No, I, I think, um, I think one thing that's exciting for me for the Big 12 is that we actually have uh, a commissioner uh, <laughs> that is actually showing leadership for, I think, the Big 12. I think I think through the previous couple rounds of conference realignment and expansion and whatnot, uh, it felt like the Big 12 was playing from a, a defensive kind of timid stance. And I think this round has been a lot more of a, like, fuck it we know who what our identity is and we're gonna kind of go out and 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 try to change this and and i think it's been more encouraging and i think i think during media days uh you saw that already i think i saw a lot more energy coming out of spring practices and coming into the 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 fall with the football coaches in general but even the athletic directors a lot more kind of enthusiasm i think than i've seen in a while yeah i think they just needed something different you know, I don't know that Bob Bowlesby did a bad job or anything like that because he obviously kept the league together through what was a really tumultuous time before the first round of things and then, you know, kept it together for what was really some, you know, pretty prosperous years for most of the league at the end of the day. And, uh, you know, I just think they needed somebody that was going to be more innovative, somebody that was going to 
push them to be more outside the box a little bit. And that's nothing against Bob Bowlesby, but he just is an establishment guy that's probably set in his ways of how he wants to go about things. And I think they needed somebody who was going to come in with some different ideas, some new ideas that were maybe going to push the boundaries a little bit of, uh, of how you can run a conference, I guess, you know, and how you can try and interact with people and interact with your fans. And uh, I, that was badly needed, I think. Just, And I think that that's good for all of college sports to be getting some of these kind of people in here like this that are going to make it make the products the best that they can be and try to, uh, you know, do it in a, in a fun and innovative way. You know, we, we had uh, Jamie Pollard on the podcast a, a little while back. And I think one thing that he's learned is that uh, the game has changed. You know, he's, first of all, he's, he's actually one of the elder statement statesmen of, of the big 12. You don't see kind of the tenure that he's had and, and what he's done and, and everything that he's gone through. But I think he's learned uh, that, college athletics every three years kind of goes through some sort of kind of micro revolution. And I think that's what leadership kind of needs to recognize is that, that the way things were done, the, the previous rules, they don't, they don't really apply. See, and that's where I think that at the end of the day, a lot of the changes that they've had to make here over this last, these last two years or whatever, that, were probably long overdue. Those are the, that's where some of these things probably could have been fixed by changing rules at different times, you know, and making it less of a okay. Now the water, like now this just open, just go and do right. what you want to do, you know. And that obviously changed a lot of things. And that's where I, it seems like college athletics has changed more in the last two years than it did for twenty. You yeah. know, like really at, at the end of the day, or just the pure structure of college athletics. And that's where, you know, I thought it was interesting today to see Pete Thamel report that the the college football playoff board of management or whatever they're called it uh, had met and talked about the possibility of bringing college football under the, you know, under a central governing body of the CFP and all this stuff like that. And that like, those are the kinds of things that I think are probably necessary at the end of the day, just to be able to create the parameters that they need, because, you know, they didn't, they don't need the old rules because the old rules were not, were just not right. And for a lot of different reasons, but they need new rules that are going to help them work through a lot of the different things and to create and to get rid of the patchwork of it, you know, where different states allow different things and different universities are allowed to do different things because of what their state's law is. And, uh, like we just have to be able to figure out a way to eliminate a lot of those things and get to where it can be much more cohesive. And it doesn't feel like it's everybody versus, you know, it's like, it's all, it always seems like it's, um, I'm always out for myself. You know, it's me versus everybody else. Like, how do we get it towards like, we have to work together to make this the best that it can be for the sake of everybody. You know, you talked about college athletics changing just in two years. Uh, as opposed to the the previous 20 and you have coaches out there, Nick Saban, I think that, you know, obviously can, can handle the tide and so on. But I think that you're going to see a lot of turnover uh, as this comes up with a lot of the older coaches because of just their mindset and how they can't adapt. We had, excuse me, coach McCarney on last year and we had asked him about the transfer rule and you know, everybody, I think, agrees that the transfer rule, obviously the way it is right now is a little crazy, but they should have the right to transfer and they should have the right to to, to move on. And he was pretty against it. Um, you know, he old school mentality of, you know, 
sticking it out when it's hard, fighting through adversity. Uh, you know, you, you shouldn't be able to just leave whenever you want to leave because it's not going your way. And I think there's something to that a little bit. But <clears throat> I guess my point that I'm trying to get to is, is that Matt Campbell seems like the right guy at the right time for Iowa State to lead uh, in this time where things are moving to more of a modern model. Yeah, and I think that's that that's why, too, that they were so successful during COVID because they had that ability to adapt and, and adapt. And I don't think that Coach Campbell is, is afraid to adapt things to whatever the times are at that given time. And, you know, there are a lot of coaches that are resistant to things. And, you know, one thing I've kind of learned about Coach Campbell is that he's one of those coaches that just like rolls with it. He's not going to be the guy that's going to stand up there and grandstand about stuff too overly often. If he does, it's protecting one of his players or trying to defend one of his players or something like that and not about a rule or anything like that and uh that's where I think he's just maybe a little bit different than some coaches I think that some of those older coaches feel a responsibility on some level to try and protect the game but I think they also have to be more willing to be open to things and being open to what, the way that rules are changing and starting to understand uh different ways and that in the ones that do do that and then can also be those old heads who are kind of protecting the game. I think, I think of guys like Scott drew, you know, mm -hmm. uh, Bill self was an early adopter of, uh, of all of these things uh, as far as NIL payments is, uh, are concerned, but he's also <laughs> still. <laughs> he, he, he was such an early adopter. He adopted it before it was even legal. Right. He, was, he was one of the OGs of, of the NIL, but uh you know, I still think that he's like the kind of guy that it's important to have those people in college athletics. Like that's what made me, you know, sad as someone who works around college sports to see a guy like Jay Wright retire is he's just one of those guys that when he comes out and has an opinion about something, it's generally going to be pretty, pretty respected, you know, and like yep. people are going to look at that and be like, man, that guy, like he doesn't say things very often. So when he does come out and say something, it, it seems impactful. So uh, I think that's what Saban has as an effect on some level too, even though he's been, you know, outspoken in some ways that I don't think I would necessarily agree with. I think uh, he's just one of those guys when he does have something like that to say, that's, it's more of like an alarm of like, okay, something actually might be happening here. This guy's, if this guy is, is on this path at this point. Yes. Saban's one of those guys that I don't want to like just because it's Alabama. Uh, I, I love Nick Saban. I absolutely love it. I mean, just Alabama in general. By the way, that kick was good. It was not over the upright. Um, but uh, Saban's one of those guys that finds a very good line to toe between being an old school uh, type of guy and still embracing kind of what is going on. Like you said, when he speaks up about like the changes that are are frustrating to him. I believe it a lot more because he's also done a good job of embracing change uh, through college football. He's not just one of these guys. He's not a Tom Osborne, right? Like I can't imagine Tom Osborne in today's right. college football. He would not, that mentality would not work because he's trying to still pretend like this is 1976. Shit. I mean, that's what makes him the greatest of all time though. You know, and that's why he's been able to do the things that he has over all this time obviously he's had a lot the help of getting a lot of really good players and things like that but to get really good players and to get really good players to win you've got to have a pretty good leader you know and yep. uh that's what is so un incredible about him i mean i think it's what's 
you know, incredible about anybody that can do that at such a high level for such a long time. I mean, I think of guys like Greg Popovich, like the way he's had to adapt to things that he's had to do in the in the NBA. I mean, even a guy yeah. like Bill Belichick, the what he had to do over all those years and what yeah. Tom Brady had to do, like that's impressive, man, you know, to be doing it, at, at, be at the top of your field like that for, for that long. So uh, no, I got nothing but respect from Nick Saban. That's for yep. sure. Pop is a great example of a guy who has gone through and seen the NBA. I mean, he literally watched the NBA bridge from David Robinson to Tim Duncan and those two played together, but you literally saw a transformation of the league between those two guys. And there was a huge passion passing of the torch and then you know he brought in a guy like Kawhi Leonard and, and had a completely different way of doing this and he's always been kind of progressive in his thought and yeah you see a guy like Steve Kerr I think has kind of embraced kind of a similar mentality with that um one of the things that I I, I appreciate about Jamie Pollard is that when he approaches uh his hires whether that be Matt Campbell or or TJ Altaberger he's he's tried to find these guys that both respect the game and respect the history and still try to bring something unique, I guess. And I think that's something where I think maybe that's why, you know, even with, with Fred Hoiberg, we found like this kind of sort of like quicker than expected success just because it's, it's a new way of thinking. Yeah. And I think that's where, the thing I you got to you have to give Jamie a lot of credit for is that he's found guys found coaches not just you know on the men's side but on the women's side as well that just ha are so good at buying into the culture of what they want Iowa State athletics to be you know mm -hmm. and that's where again like why has Nick Saban been so successful forever because of the culture that they have inside of Alabama football you know right. why is uh I'm trying to think why is any team good you know yeah. like everybody's been on a team and you've been on a team that had bad culture that had uh, toxic relationships between players or toxic uh, situations between players and coaches or between coaches and coaches and all those kinds of things like that. But then people, I, most people, or I hope most people, you know, I've had the opportunity to be inside on a team that was really good. And like, and, and you understand the trust that you have in people and like how you feel like you're all in it together. And it's not about any one person or anything like that. Like, that's what I think Jamie has done such a good job of is finding coaches who buy into those things, because that's what, at the end of the day is what makes Iowa state great is the fact that they have this cumulative thing that has everybody behind it. And it's like, anytime that I talk to recruits, almost always they're telling me about how any, when you get into Ames, you've got people coming up to you and saying, Oh, you know, we've heard about you. We hope you have a good visit. We hope you like Iowa state and all these things. And that like says a lot <laughs> to kids, you know, because it shows them how much just the people in Ames care. You know, if you're going yeah. to Los Angeles or you're going to, all over the place, you know, like all kinds of different cities. I mean, yeah, you're going to have a lot of fun. Don't get me wrong. If you're like going on a visit to USC, I'm not going to sit here and say that anybody wouldn't have fun on a visit to, to USC, but uh, it just might not be quite the same. So like, that's what makes Iowa state impressive is just that ability to have everybody rowing the boat in the same direction uh, at, at all times for the most part. I mean, I, I think you look at it, a coach like Bill Fennelly, right. Very much kind of a, uh, a, a counter example to Jamie's tenure in that, you know, Jamie has not been afraid to pull the trigger when, it, when it's time to pull the trigger and, and make a change. Uh, but you've got a guy like, like Bill who's been around forever and Jamie very much respects what he's done and, and acknowledges the, <clears throat> that Bill Fennelly is very much uh, uh, 
central to that program. I mean, I remember when when Bill started and he and he had five players. He didn't have five starters. He had five players on the team, right? And and what he's done and and what he's continued to do, uh, probably one of the probably one of the top five most underrated college basketball coaches, men or women, uh, in the country, in my opinion, for what he's done for a, a sustained success. Uh, but you have kind of that balance of of someone like that that uh, has been around for for 20 years and, and knows what it takes, but also still melds into kind of the the again, the changing landscape and 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 is probably the biggest supporter of everyone else who comes through those doors. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's crazy because I when I, when I was in college, I was the women's basketball reporter, like what Connor does now. And they were not good any of the years that I was in school. I think maybe they made the tournament one time. And to see what they've been able to do in the time since then has been so impressive. And I think that there was something that Coach Finley caught a second wind or something like that because they have just gone to another level, you know, mm -hmm. and been, uh, you know, where I think this year's team will have an opportunity to compete to go to the Final Four and be a team that could – compete yeah. to win a national championship, you know, and uh, that's incredible. I mean, that's like Bill Fennelly is going to have his banner hanging in Hilton Coliseum a lot sooner rather than later. It's, or at least it seems like he should, you know, and uh, just what he's been able to do to build that entire program and then be kind of a sustainable or a, or a kind of a rock for Iowa state athletics where it's like, you always knew that I, that women's basketball was going to be good at the end of the day for the most part, you know, and that's what's, it's just really impressive how he's been able to do all that. I do want to, I, I would be remiss if I didn't call out that you've given Connor praise a couple of times uh, in this podcast. <laughs> and I want to make sure that Connor uh, keeps a level head uh, on him. And, and Connor, I see you. Uh, you're perfectly adequate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I'm really excited. Um, why don't we go ahead and take a quick second? We're going to take a break so we can we can uh, hear a break from our sponsor, Chris. Summer is winding down and fall is just around the corner. August can be a busy time getting ready for upcoming fall events, but be sure to take those final summer Saturdays and treat yourself to an evening of music and spirits by visiting Revelton Distilling Company at 1400 West Clay Street in Osceola, Iowa. They have a lineup of talented musicians each Saturday evening from 4 to 7 p.m. to help you enjoy those final summer days. Along with that, Take time to sample some of their great spirits like their honey whiskey or their award-winning mulberry gin. Try one of their signature drinks like their blackberry bramble while you are there. Check out their schedule for music guests on their Instagram page or Twitter account at DC. Finally, be sure to join in celebrating with all the crew from Three Beards Media along with cast members from Bitter Units, Old Man Strength, and WS Twin Warriors for their official launch party on Friday, September 2nd at 6.30 p.m. at Revelton's Tasting Room. Welcome back. Once again, we are talking to Jared Sansbury of Cyclone Fanatic. We're very excited to have him on. Uh, Jared, I kind of wanted to shift gears here a little bit and focus a little bit more on Iowa State. Obviously, Chris and I are not necessarily an Iowa State podcast, but we are both Iowa State graduates and we get accused of being a very one-sided podcast uh quite often um but we do very much care about Look how State. bothered i am by that 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I mean, we have had uh, more Iowa State former athletes on than anyone than any other school, but we have had Iowa uh, athletes on. We've had Illinois athletes on. We've had other ones, right? Yes. Um, but we do care a lot about Iowa State, and I think probably a lot of our listeners care about Iowa State. Um, we are getting very close. This will be launched here very soon. We're getting very close to the Iowa State football season starting off. Uh, I'm still not accepting that summer is almost over, but we are getting very close to, to Iowa State football uh, starting. And it's kind of a new look team. How, how are you feeling about this team? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that I've taken away from being around guys and, and being around the the coaches, it seems like there's just a quiet confidence, a little bit of what, you know, they're just kind of loose. It, it seems like things, I don't know, now in comparison to what was like, it was like last year, I think there was a lot of pressure on people, you know, and I don't know that they mm-hmm. would ever admit that, but I just think things, things seem a lot looser than what they were before. Everybody is a little bit more relaxed and not quite as on edge all the time, it seems like, and, uh, you know, not that you want to say goodbye to some of the best players in your program's history or anything like that, but I think it could be good for the program to have a little bit of a reset of being the hunter instead of the hunted again on some level. And uh, I think they feel like they've got as good of depth as they've had since they've been there. Uh, And, you know, top to bottom, the roster is as talented as it's been, Uh, even if it might not be quite as talented at the top, top, like it was, Last season, obviously, there's a handful of guys that are up there that you throw in that category. But uh, I think there's just a bunch of inexperienced guys that they feel like have a lot of talent and uh, are probably going to surprise some people this fall. You I I don't think that was an intentional pun, but you did said the hunter instead of the hunted. I think we can't not talk about Hunter Deckers and what he's stepping into, obviously, uh, possibly the. I don't even want to say possibly like the most productive, certainly quarterback in Iowa state history uh, in Brock Purdy. Uh, And what, uh, is there really any doubt that he's, he's going to be the starter on day one? No, there's no doubt whatsoever. He'll be the starter on day one. I mean, I think he has done everything that's been asked to him and he's, you know, one guy on the staff put it to me as, you know, he's done everything that you would hope a guy stepping up from being the backup to being the starter would do. And Uh Uh, you know, I think that he has, you know, from what, you know, I think they feel like he has really high end talent, uh, and he's been doing that, showing that during the, the fall so far. And, um, yeah, I think that there's no doubt that he'll be the guy for Iowa state this season. And, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how people go through the ebbs and flows of, of watching him. You know, because I, I think the one thing that was always interesting about Brock is like you knew everybody loved Brock, but Brock also like during the season never seemed to get as much credit as maybe he should have. Everybody mm-hmm. really loved Brock between like, uh, man, I don't even know. Uh, well, they love Brock October. Yeah, they loved they, <laughs> everybody loved him during October and then everybody loved him like December through uh, through august and then it would hit september and then people would be mad at him and then there'd be november people would be mad at him and so it's like i i just will think it'll be interesting to see how people react to hunter and and how he's able to navigate all of those things and the pressure of being the starting quarterback well and and so he now has the added uh kind of pressure of 
the very next quarterback coming in for Iowa State has just gotten upgraded as literally a top 10 quarterback in the entire country. Uh, do you think that puts any pressure on him to try to uh, solidify himself as the guy to be out for that position? If he's as good as it sounds like he is, then I don't think he'll be too care- too concerned about a true <laughs> freshman coming in next year. I'll just be honest. Okay. No, that's yeah. that that's 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 a, a very fair answer because I mean literally nothing against JJ Cole. I think I from everything I've heard, JJ Cole's a very good player, you know. So I, yeah. I don't I, it's nothing against him. I'm just saying I think Hunter uh has done everything that he needs to do to put himself in a position to be really successful. So yeah, I, I, I gotta be honest. I, I have not been worried about quarterback as that no. position at all uh, during this off season. Yeah. I'm the same way that I just don't think the quarterback will be too much of a concern. There are certainly other things at, at positions, you know, running back. I just don't know. We just don't know who will play there. I think that any of those four guys could be really solid. And then, <clears throat> you know, the offensive line to me is always a question mark until you, for me, it's until I see it. I don't know if I'm going to believe that they're going to make major strides. So I hope, that, you know, obviously I would like for them to see, to see them make major strides, but um, you know, we'll just have to wait and see what that looks like on September 3rd. And I think that defense is still going to be pretty salty. Uh, it, there's some, a lot of talent on that side of the ball, even some, and some guys that are stepping into some bigger roles that uh, are, I think are, are pretty good and, uh, and are going to have an opportunity to showcase that. I, uh, <clears throat> I, th- I think the the one group that I think maybe gets overlooked as crazy as it is because one of them is in the top 100 college football players list today uh, with uh, uh, Xavier Hutchinson is the wide receiver group. Uh, I had a conversation the other day, last week, with a Texas fan, uh, funny enough, Cole, who uh, <laughs> we were talking about uh, – um, the wide receiver that transferred to, to Texas from Iowa State, uh, his name escapes Tariq me. Milton. Tariq yeah, Milton. Tariq Milton. Yeah. And um, I, I think our wide receiver group is is solid. You, I mean, you have Hutchinson, you have Noel, Sean Shaw still there, but the guy that intrigues me the most is Gaines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's got really intriguing talent because then in the spring he went to some of those open practices and he made some pretty crazy plays while he's out there. He's a big time talent. Like he's got big time ability. It just you know, there's a bunch of guys that you didn't even mention there when in, in their receiver room that are, are good players, you know, Darren Wilson, who's been kind of banged up. Daniel Jackson's another guy who's been banged up in the past. And uh, I think they feel like he's ready to kind of have a a breakout opportunity. Uh, Dimitri Stanley was a transfer in from uh, Colorado that started a handful of games for the, for Colorado over the last couple of years. That sounds like he brings big, uh, big time speed to the table in in that room. And, and then I think, you know, X and Jalen Knoll, are are two players capable of being centerpieces of an offense and um you know i think it'll be interesting to see how they deploy all those guys and that and again like it's it's one of those things where if you told me in november that greg Gaines played in more than four games and burned his red shirt like it wouldn't shock me at all mm-hmm. but if you told me that he did red shirt it i wouldn't be shocked at all you yeah. know because yeah. i think he does have the talent to get in that position <clears throat> but also if he does end up in a position where he has to redshirt it's probably because all those other guys had a really good year which would at the end of the day be a good thing for Iowa State no absolutely Xavier is one of those guys that I think is probably I mean even last year probably flew under the radar and when he announced he was coming back I think uh, I think people uh, no one was surprised but at the same time the guy has talent he has a Mm -hmm. lot of talent he has a nose for the football and uh 
you know, we've seen some guys with, with some kind of insane talent, like Akeem Butler, who also was very prone to drops, uh, you know, could remember the Texas game where he taught or the, the Kansas game where he tossed a guy to the side and, and did some amazing things, but also kind of like it, X is one of those guys who's a lot quieter of a player, but a lot more uh, productive, I think. X is just solid, man. Like just really, really solid, you know? And like, uh, there's nothing that you sit there and like blows you away. The thing that blows you away is just that he's really productive, you know? And he just like gets things done. And he's a guy that you can generally rely on in in most scenarios. And um, I think that he has all of the ability to have a, a as good or better of a season than what uh, Alan Lazard or Hakeem Butler did in those two years that they were kind of the centerpieces of what Iowa State was doing along with uh, David Montgomery. So, um, no, I, I think that he's one of those guys that a lot of people are going to find out how good he is, you know, when he's got an opportunity now to be, you know, not having to really share the ball as much with somebody like they did with Brees, who was going to get the ball 40 times every game yeah, last year. I was going to say that that's, that's another thing, right? Like, so between tight end and running back, uh, we've got other positions on offense that are probably a little bit more of question marks. Does that mean that we get to open, especially because I, again, I think all of the criticism of Brock of not having a good arm or not having downfield accuracy, all that, I think a lot of that was overblown. And I think you even saw that, he had a couple of questionable passes the other day at the preseason game, but he also showed a lot of like ability to throw off a back leg, throw off the scramble to improvise. He he did a lot of those things and he can throw a long ball. But I think what I've always thought was more of Hunter Decker's strength is his ability to be more of kind of your prototypical passer. I think this passing game, are, are we going to see them open it up a little bit more this year? Yeah, I mean, I think on paper that's got to be the assumption of what they're going to do. But I think if that group of tight ends that they have where they've got some guys they feel are really talented that just are kind of inexperienced, you know, and you obviously they played behind Charlie Kohler, Chase Allen, and Dylan Sainer. Like, how are you yeah. going to get any experience when there's yeah. when yeah, three there's of the that, best as, tight as, ends? As so. say that the, the next, the next Sainer or, or Allen or Kohler are probably in that group. Yeah, I mean, you would hope so. You know, you would hope that someone like that can – uh, can emerge but you know if nobody emerges in that room past Jared Russ then yeah I mean I think you would have to assume you're going to see a lot of formations where there's going to be a lot more receivers than there have been in in past seasons and uh, you know but I think that it's important too for Iowa State to be able to continue to play in those 12 and 13 personnel packages with the tight ends just to maintain some of that advantage that they've had over the last couple of years because that's really worked for them obviously and um, but it takes having the personnel to be able to get out there and do those kinds of things. So let me ask you a little bit more about running. Running back is the, the intriguing position to me, right? Because, you know, we talk about David Montgomery, obviously, and we talk about Brees Hall, but we also talk about the, the role that Yerrell Brock played, the, that Kane Nwongu played, frankly, right? Uh, and you're seeing Nwongu have, have have success in the NFL. What What does that running back room look like right now, uh, given that, two of the best running backs in Iowa State history have just come out of there. Yeah, I mean, I think that, yeah, given that the last two starting running backs have to been two of the best in Iowa State history, uh, for being in that spot, I think you've got to feel pretty happy about it. I mean, 
Jairo Brock is still a guy who was a, a four-star recruit and, um, you know, has had some good moments at Iowa State already in his career. Uh, Eli Sanders and Deion Silas are both young guys that bring something a little bit different to the table where Eli Sanders has elite speed and then Silas can really make people miss and get out in space and and, and get things done. And, and then you've got Cartavius Norton, who's a true freshman too, that, uh, you know, sounds like more of a pure power runner that really likes to try and run through contact and run through people. And, um, you know, I think that, like I said, I mean, it, obviously you would always prefer to have a, a Brees Hall or have a David Montgomery who, you know, going into the season and you're going to be able to give that guy the ball 30 times and you know, he's going to get things done for you, but for not being having one of those, I think that they feel like they're in a pretty good position with some guys that are talented that just haven't had an opportunity to showcase that yet. I, it seems like always somebody from that room kind of emerges yeah. that maybe you're not prepared for. And I mean, if you remember when, when Brock and, and Brees Hall came in together, Brock was really getting more of the hype, I think, at the beginning. And Brees just kind of quietly took over that role. So he was the more highly rated recruit coming in. Jairo was, but uh, I don't know, man. I'll never forget the first time I watched Brees Hall's high school highlight tape. And it was like, holy shit, this guy is something else, you know? And it was like one of those things where you, he was maybe a three-star recruit or something like that at the time. And like, Iowa State had kind of just started recruiting him. And just sometimes, I don't know, you watch enough high school athletes and you watch enough kids play sports, you can tell when there's one that's, like, different. And he was one of those guys you knew was different right away, you know. So, I don't know. Different enough to make me want to buy a Jets jersey. How's that? That's, all. Yeah. That's, that's a special. That's a special, that's a special player, kind man. of player, right? He, he's a special player. He, yeah. I, I did pick him up in my fantasy draft last night. I will say that. Um, no, I, I, I think that's that's going to be a lot of fun. It will be interesting to see though, because I think, um, I think one of the criticisms that a lot of Iowa State fans, myself included, have probably had is that, uh we've had maybe some of the more impressive uh, talents from kind of a skill position that we've ever had. And I still felt that maybe the, the play calling was a bit conservative. Oh, it better not be that's opening game. That's all I know. I can't take, can't take an opening game. Of, of conservative play calling again and but, but still being yeah, close yeah, was, chris chris you would agree with me quarter. like we've yeah, been no a... absolutely yes no i agree too much of a track record to think that they're that you're not going to get a steady a heavy dose of that unfortunately yeah. come on jerry you're supposed to make me happy no i'm just <laughs> i'm just saying i'm and i'm not saying you know i'm Wait, not saying i agree with it I, I don't necessarily disagree with you but i think uh at this point after what six season openers yeah uh well yeah. five and if you uh throw out the south dakota state one where they scored a touchdown on their first play uh yeah that was the one that was the looking game good was canceled <laughs> yeah, that was, yeah the game was canceled but uh no that i would be very surprised if the, what, the play calling is not relatively conservative what wait i mean aside from not wanting to show your 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 playbook I mean, it's not just season openers, frankly. I, I still feel like uh, it always feels like it's it's felt like the offense in Matt Campbell's staff has always wanted to be 
Oh, we're going to save that for a special moment. It's, it it reminds me of that nice bottle of wine that I never bother, bothered to open because I always think there's going to be a bigger reason to to celebrate with that bottle of wine. And that's what I felt like. You've got the, these the most talent you could ever have across the board at the skill positions, and we never quite opened it up. And I don't know I, why that is. Can I rebut that for one second? Sure, I, sure, I, I will defend. I will defend Tom Manning here for a minute. The thing like, okay, do you want to open it up and all this kind of stuff? I mean, do you want to run trick plays every week? Because then tri- trick plays don't seem to work if, if people start to expect them every week, you know, and things like that. And that's where some of the times they've run those plays, I mean, I would think their hit rate on them has to be pretty high. I mean, they had the touchdown that they threw against Iowa, but last year, yeah. uh, or not last year, the year that there was the rain delay, I mean, they threw the tight end screen for a, a big gain in that game against Oklahoma. They threw a touchdown pass with uh, Xavier Hutchinson. Who do you throw it to? Mm-hmm. I can't even remember. Was it Tariq Milton? Mm-hmm. Uh, it last Tariq year Milton. against yeah, Texas. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So it's like yep. they've yep. done some of those things. And I think, but they try and be, you know, strategic about them and run them when they've got really good looks for them and things like that. And at the end of the day, too, they had the best running back in college football the last two years. So it's like, why would you not give that guy the ball at every opportunity you have, even if there might be a call to be more aggressive, I guess. I Well, I, I get that. And I'm not saying that they're, they're not busting out trick plays. I'm just saying that it seems like on a scale of one to 10, it's either a one or a 10. And, and I, I, I think they're, I mean, part of, again, I think part of the, 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 knock on on Brock going into the draft is that he didn't have that arm strength downfield and he didn't have that big playability and I think part of that was a function of and not that he didn't have big numbers but I think part of that was a function of the offense being run is that it never called for him to head, to do something Thank you. You have to throw in there is one other piece of this equation where you have to have receivers that you can throw the ball downfield to when they had Hakeem Butler they threw the ball downfield sure but they haven't had well, they had, they, they had X last know. year. Yeah, they did. But is X a guy that is going to run down the seam and score long touchdowns? He's more of a catch the ball and run type of guy. They, you know? they, they had Tariq Milton last year. Yeah, and they hit Tariq Milton for some long touchdowns. But at the end of the day, like I think of all the times they tried to throw <clears> the ball down the field and oh, it did not work very often. I mean, I can think of the game against Iowa where they tried to throw the ball down the field from what, the five-yard line and throw an interception? Well, yeah, but but I mean, if you're comparing to Iowa, Iowa's uh, idea of a big play is running three yards. They're I'm not comparing it to Iowa. The I'm most saying they boring ran offense. <laughs> I know they I, ran that yeah. deep pass against Iowa, and like yeah. it didn't work. And I, I just I can't remember times where the receivers would run deep routes and get separation. Could that be on the play calling? Certainly, but it's also like there's a lot of pieces that go into play there because it if they felt more comfortable running those routes and, and that they had someone who could run those routes and get open, then I would imagine they would call those plays. I don't know. The, that's just the question just is, this, do you think maybe it had something to do with the offensive line and their inability to maybe hold blocks? I, I would say that that would certainly play some sort of role in that equation. And that's why, again, I say like I, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say they don't have talent in that room because they've recruited pretty well, especially for what Iowa state's previous standard has been. But it's just I don't know that I'm going to believe that that group is going to be that much improved until until I see that, you know, and and I again, I hope that they are. I hope that that they are as solid as what, you know, it has sounded like they have been during fall I mean, camp. 
I think we have seen an offense that's been pretty efficient and pretty prolific in, in the middle of the season. I think for me, what my biggest, I wouldn't say complaint, but but argument is, is that we seem to not get into that kind of a rhythm until maybe it's too late and we're yeah. behind the eight ball in the season, I, right? I certainly I agree with that. And that's, that's, I think, the biggest issue is that those slow starts where you can't, that's obviously prevented them from beating Iowa uh, yes. during, during Campbell's tenure and then has made those those season openers such an adventure so often. And, uh, you know, I think at the end of the day, I don't know if that goes on the coaches, if it goes on the players or who it goes on, but Iowa State's offenses have statistically been pretty damn good the last couple of years, you know, and uh, that's where it's like, you got to, that sometimes it just doesn't work out. That's, and that's the problem. They play that style. That's just going to get them in so many close games. If they could play like Oklahoma and win by like, win by 50. Yeah. I think, I think that's, that's kind of been my, my biggest struggle is that, that it feels like they're playing. They're playing to do just enough to win. Yeah. And that's fair. I think that's probably fair. I don't know. I, I don't know. I think that, the odds i mean they've kicked the shit out of some teams over the last yeah. several years at different yeah. points so it's like it's just a different style of kicking the shit out of people you know like when they're gonna really beat up on somebody it's because they out physical them you know so, and, so, and yeah. yeah so so we we heard this week an anonymous quote from another big 12 coach that iowa state had a blip in their culture i think is is the phrase did you hear this I no hear i didn't it. see this there was there was a quote here a couple days ago. Anonymous Big Twelve coach said that I was. Was this State, on Athlon or something? Or I what? think I think it was on Athlon. Yeah, that said that uh, that Iowa State had a blip in their culture in the middle of their season. Um, basically the idea that that Iowa State got a little too, um, uh, conservative and a little too in their own head and i don't know if that was you know a, a coaching staff thing if that was a player thing uh but I, when i heard that quote uh you know obviously my first thing was to be defensive as an iowa state fan but i think my second thing was to say i kind of think that was fair because you know clearly we didn't live up to i think expectations this past year yeah, I mean, I think that's I think that's fair in the sense, you know, you think back to like those Baylor games, some of those games they were losing by just a couple of points right there and uh, whatever that was late September, or, uh, early October. I think that's that's probably fair. And that's why I go back again. Like, I just I feel like there's a much more loose atmosphere this year being mm -hmm. around those guys where just they're I think the pressure of all of those things probably went no, or no, started I, to wear on so. people less less expectations are making yeah. it a little bit easier for people to be a little bit. No, I think, I think that's fair. I think that's, that's, that's exciting. Um, excellent. Um, uh, before we, we switch over here to, to basketball, cause I do want to get talking about basketball. So, cause there's some exciting things going on there. I want to take another, uh, break from our sponsor, Wintrust mortgage this time. Um, but Jared, be prepared. I want to kind of jump into what we have going on. Uh, for basketball because not only did we see some kind of exceeded expectations but i think uh that was just the beginning uh and and i talked me back down to earth when we get back uh so again uh let's take a second for uh a word from our sponsor Wintrust mortgage are you in the market for a new house and unsure of the mortgage process want to know that you have someone looking out for you 
Kyle Lehman from Wintrust Mortgage is a down-to-earth, knowledgeable lender who can be there for you in your corner. He can work with you in any of the 50 states and is just what you need to expand your home search. Kyle will work with you through the entire process with little to no work from you. Take the worry of the mortgage process out of the equation so that you can focus on looking for your dream home. Contact Kyle at www.wintrust.com forward slash Kyle dash Lehman or call him at 515-473-0546. Welcome back. So before the break, I asked Jared to kind of preview the Iowa State basketball season. So switching gears, we have not covered football, but we will have plenty of more opportunities to talk about Iowa State football as this goes along. Uh, but we've also had maybe the most exciting offseason of Iowa State basketball in recent memory. I, it, it was certainly the most eventful, I would right, say. Right? Yeah. I, I mean, everything from Tyrese hunter leaving to the best recruiting class uh and growing that we've ever seen um easily so so a lot going on so uh boy i don't i don't even have a good question here jared i'm just hoping you just pick up from my my lazy way of talking about this and take and run with it well, is I mean, Tim just crazy. Is Tim crazy to be this excited? I guess is a good question. No, I, I just think about the roller coaster that we've been on with Iowa State basketball over the last whatever five months now since you know the weekend in Milwaukee, winning two games, going to the Sweet 16 and that high, then everything that happened with Tyrese and the low of all of that, and then the, the high again of the transfer recruiting and getting some of the guys that they were able to get for this year's team that. Uh, I think have them feeling pretty confident in what they've been able to put together as far as a roster. And then, you know, now then back with this, this recruiting cycle where, you know, they had a handful of targets that they really set their eye on really the, the three of uh, Jelani Hamilton, uh, Milan Momsilovic, and then Omaha Baloo. And then you throw in Caden fish there at the end. And that is kind of a cherry yeah. on top of oh, the that Caden, class. That, uh, Caden fish uh, uh, commit was, it, it felt like uh like getting to present after you already thought you were done. Yeah. And that, it just is, it speaks to what TJ and his staff have been able to do building relationships in such a short amount of time. But um, I mean, yeah, I mean, it would be hard to argue that this is not one of the best classes that, that Iowa state basketball has, has certainly ever had, but uh, now it'll just be, it'll be interesting to see how they're able to follow this up and, and take this into the season after uh, you know, again, with, with basically a, a brand new team. Well, let's talk about <clears throat> what's crazy is, is that you talked about Sweet 16, losing Tyrese, getting this this incoming transfers and now the recruiting class. But we neglected to talk about prior to that two and whatever, two win season previously, and then an undefeated yeah. uh, non-conference. I mean, you talk about a roller coaster of, I mean, you can pack all of the craziness that is an Iowa state fandom into about a two and a half year period, that would be enough for most schools. Yeah. Iowa state basketball has certainly taken years off of my life in the last like, <laughs> three whenever, years. Right? Whenever, whenever my doctor asks about my heart health, I, I always say, well, I'm an Iowa state basketball fan. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. I miss yeah. that though. Like I missed caring about basketball. I missed, 
having that pit in my stomach of watching a game. And even when we were, you know, 47 to 46 late in the second quarter, it's not fun basketball to watch, but I was invested. And I think that's what made that non-conference portion so much fun was just, you could feel the excitement again, you know? And I think people were, I think people felt better, but they didn't necessarily know what they were getting themselves into before going into last season. I think Scott Christopherson's told this story before on our podcast where, uh, you know, he said that someone came up to him before the game and said that he hoped they win 10, they won 10 games in the entire season. <laughs> and Scott's Scott had basically been completely detached from college athletics for 10 years leading mm-hmm. into when me and him started doing our podcast. And uh, so for him to sit there and be like, Holy shit, like what's happened around here in the last 10 years to where this is what right. people are hoping now. And it just is, yeah, obviously the end of things with Coach Prom. Like I, I still think Coach Prom is a an awesome human being and someone who has done, you know, a lot of really good things and helped a lot of kids and and put people in a lot of positions to be successful. But obviously it just didn't work out. And um I think we understood, you know, why once TJ got here and you start to see the energy that he brought to Iowa State basketball and just the excitement of of the brand of basketball they play, even though it's not overly fun to watch sometimes. hundred percent. I, I... I related that that team last year a lot to Tim Floyd's team after Hoiberg and Beecham and that crew had left. There was not a lot of expectations for that team of, you know, let's be honest. Dedrick oh, God, Willoughby, Tim, Kenny Tim, Pratt, Tim, Tim Floyd's you know. basketball was boring. Right. But you were invested. And, oh, and, yeah, totally. and that last that last year of, of Steve Prome, to your point, Jared, you know, great human being. And, and, and I have a lot of respect for him. But. I didn't even know when the game was on anymore. I was that de-invested. I did not care when a game was on. The apathy of it was what was so sad because I, you know, I went to school through the end of the Hoiberg era and mm. you see the excitement of all of that. What was really the peak of all of that stuff that at that time and to see to the point that it got to where again, like people just didn't care. You know, and I can tell you, like, I wrote about the team, like, I didn't really care, you know, and you yeah. got to do a podcast and you guys sit down and be like, well, what do I say today? Like, <laughs> you know, I remember I had to record an instant reaction podcast after they lost to Mississippi State by what, like 60 points right? that COVID season mm-hmm. uh, or something crazy like that. Like, once it got to that point where it was pretty clear, man, it's time for a change. It just things just really fell apart. And uh, it was it was fun to be able to cover this last year and uh experience that that weekend in milwaukee and be in the arena for those things and and to witness that yeah i mean i i can think about jobs that i've had where i wasn't the right fit for it and they may they, they may not have fired me i fired myself because the point was that like it doesn't matter how good of a person i was or, or bad or whatever it just didn't fit for what like my goals were and what i wanted and and you know S- steve is Again, by all accounts, a great guy. I, I, I think you'd be hard pressed to find a former player of Steve's that has a negative thing to say about him, right? I think Steve is a perfect fit at where he's at now, back yeah. where where he was at at, at Murray. I think yeah, he'll I probably agree. have a ton of success, and I, I, I'll definitely have to go out to the Nap Center when Murray comes up and plays uh, plays Drake because I'm sure his teams are going to be really fun to watch, right? And he's probably yeah. going to have another phenomenal point guard, and he's going to mm-hmm. be able to 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 coach the hell out of those guys and i think that that makes a lot of sense i think i think uh there's just something different but i think what happened last last season again and you know 
boy, we meet, we beat Memphis, and I was still like, eh, well, we're still, let's just temper expectations. Like the, all season long, I kept on saying, let's temper expectations. That's temper. Not me. I was drinking the Kool Aid. Oh God, all dude, the way through. <laughs> dude. The last week of conference season uh, of conference, I was still like, eh, let's not expect attorney bid. And <laughs> we might be a one and done, and whatever, right? And so to get to to where it was 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 pretty fantastic, and I think. Um, uh, there has been kind of a good mix of of obviously players leaving, and it sucks to lose someone like Tyrese. And and uh, uh, does it though? I mean, well, it, if he it doesn't does. want to be here. I but, I, but I'm not but, sad to see him. Go. I don't I mean, know I, because I don't thank I, you for what you did, but if well, you but, don't want to be here, I'm okay with you being. Gone. I don't. I but I don't feel like he was like when I think about some players that have left. I think of them as like a locker room cancer and I, Jared, you're closer to this than, than either of us, but I never saw Tyrese as a locker room cancer. He just didn't know. It just he... didn't, it just didn't work out, you yeah. know? And I, yeah. I think like, that's unfortunate. Yeah. I agree with you. Like you would prefer to have Tyrese here, but I think it's, again, it's one of those things where shit happened in college athletics sometimes you know and yeah. things just get sideways and it's like how do you react to it instead of you know getting mad about whatever happened and holding grudges or anything like that but i do think it will be a lot of fun when tyrese hunter has to come back to Hilton Coliseum <laughs> to take texas dude i was texas and then come back you know? in oh my gosh I, I, hey i remember when adam alaska had to come back here uh oh yeah <laughs> that was yeah. yeah yeah that was a whole other you're thing, talking but... about hostile yeah, but I mean, like, I, I think, I mean, like, who knew Isaiah Brockington was going to be the player that he turned out to be? Nobody did. I don't think nobody saw did. that. I don't think even, I think if the staff was going to be honest with you, I don't think they probably even understood that until he got to Ames and saw, they saw how hard he worked and how the way that he could play. It was like, okay, we might have something here. But uh, no, I don't think anybody, even during the recruiting process, realized what Isaiah was. I don't think anyone realized uh, how much he elevates everyone else. I think that's yeah. one of one of the one of the most exciting things about watching him play isn't just that like he's not a guy who's just going to take over a game, and he can he certainly can do that. But just his presence on the court, like everyone, he's a guy that it looked to me that everyone else wanted to play for. You know what I mean? Like everyone else on the uh, on the floor just felt better about playing with him as on their team. Is that fair? Yeah, and I don't even know if it was about the offensive end. I think as much it was it was as much defensively, like what him and Gabe Kalsher could do, and Tyrese obviously in that mix as well. The way that they defended, like, and then they knew realistically this is the guy that we've got to ride if we're going to make a run here. You know, yeah, but yeah. then you see too in the in the postseason the guys who step up are or not him, you know, and that's yeah. not knock, a knock on Isaiah because Isaiah carried Iowa State through a lot of that season. And Iowa State won a lot of important games because Isaiah was able to play like Isaiah Brockington. But, um, I, yeah. and I, uh, yeah, and I, I think the thing that was so impressive about him and the thing I'll remember about him is he was so good at getting to his spots and being able to get to the positions where he wanted to be able to knock down shots, even though everybody knew where he was going to try and get to, you know, yeah. and like – he wasn't George Niang who had so many different offensive moves that you didn't know what he was going to do at a given time. Mariel Shayok was just another of those guys. And it's like, he could score from literally everywhere. Yeah. But Isaiah was one of those people that's like, he had to get to a handful of like really specific places on the floor. Yeah. And he got there every time, 
he yeah. got there every time and he would knock down the shots and like that's what was so good about it and you, it never seemed to make a lot of sense and it does it never fit with what the you know the quote-unquote bat right way to play basketball in 2022 but it worked and that was what i thought was so cool about it i mean i mean that that whole dj team uh was like the antithesis of what everything fred hoiberg taught us right yeah like the number of long twos I saw that team take <laughs> was at no time kidding. frustrating, but it was, it was, and like you talk about a guy like Gabe Kalsher. So I live up here in, in Minnesota and I watched Gabe Kalsher play plenty of times. And, and he was a guy that when you loved him, you loved him. And when you hated him, you hated him. And that's no different than it is now. Is no, it? it? No, 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 well, no, no, it isn't. But I feel like he's a, he's a more I think you're probably more mindful of what he brings on a defensive end now because Iowa State's better yeah. defensively than what those Minnesota teams were. So you understand the intangibles yeah. of what he brings better than what maybe when he was in that role he was in at Minnesota. I, I still, yeah, I still think he's more disciplined at Iowa State than it, and I'm not saying he's a disciplined player, yeah. but I, I would just, say yeah, he's different, a yeah. different role. Yeah, it's just different. But I think Isaiah is going to be in and have an opportunity to prove, or not Isaiah, Gabe is going to have an opportunity this year to prove that he has the ability to be consistent. We've seen these one-off blips from him of where he can have a really big game and like really carry a team on a given night. Yeah. Well, now he's going to have to be one of the you know primary scorers for this team this season. And it's like, if he can't give you what you need it from him every night, then that's going to drop the ceiling of your team. And it's going to drop the floor of your team as well on some nights. I mean, he's definitely, he's definitely a hotter cold player, right? Like, like if he's feeling it, yeah, it. and you don't want nobody wants to be that, you know. Yeah, so oh, yeah, that's right. why I say that's that's like the biggest thing for him. Can you find that consistency of to where you're not that hot and cold player? Yeah, yeah, but but he is he is I like I felt like there was a certain level of maturity that he found under TJ's staff, and I don't I don't know that TJ. I think I think one of the things that TJ does really well is he actually does have a really good staff that that helps. Uh, not just from recruiting, for, but from player development, frankly. I think the relationships in that program are just really strong, top to bottom. I mean, that's – and that, again, it goes back to TJ, the relationships he's able to build with people and, uh, you know, everybody who talks about the way that he recruits and things like that. It's just – it's all about building relationships and building that trust between each other. I just think that that really flows through that program right now. So upcoming season, just give me a, a quick synopsis. What do you, what do you think this team's going to bring? And give us two players that maybe not be on the radar that we should be kind of excited about. Well, I hope you guys liked how they looked last year because it'll probably look about exactly the same. Uh, I mean, if we're playing in the Sweet 16, then you play whatever yeah, way you want. There's not going to be anybody complaining, that's for sure. Uh, but no, they're going to be able to really defend. I think that that, you know, added Oshun, uh, Oshunii down there, down low, adds a whole other dynamic, having that ability to block shots. Hassan Ward is in that same mold. Trey King, you know, just having those guys that are elite athletes uh, that are able to protect the rim. Uh, I think Trey King probably is a guy that has flying, flown under the radar largely because he was already here last mm -hmm. year. Uh, mm -hmm. And so he's kind of been around the program for a long time at this point. People maybe kind of forget about him. Um, man, another one. Uh, what about Lipsy? Because he was yeah. pretty, he was the first guy that TJ went to and re-secured his, his commitment when he got hired. And I, I don't think a lot of people are talking about him. The thing that I've, I really always liked about Taman, and I've been able to watch him quite a bit, obviously, uh, 
it's with him growing up in central Iowa playing high school basketball. But the thing I love about him is he does make his teammates better. Like he, I think he was the first player to ever have a triple double in this class four, a state championship game. Uh, and average, and he scored like 11 points, you know, and had, and then had 10 assists and 10 rebounds has, and he's not that big. He's like six one, you know? So he's just one of those guys that's going to do whatever it takes to be able to win the basketball game. And uh, he makes people better. He sees things on the floor that other people don't. Um, and he's just a, an elite playmaker. And that's where, you know, if he was going to be a guy who could come in and make an impact as a true freshman, it would be in that ability to make plays for others and set things up for other people. And uh, because that's a unique ability that that not that many people have, just his teams win. He's a winning player. And, um, you know, I'm not comparing him to Tyrese Halberton because their physical tools are a lot different, but uh, they're just the mindsets, the way that they come off as people is very similar. Just those I mean, the guys way you, the way you describe him. Uh, almost reminds me of a, of a, a Jake Anderson. Like, like one of those guys that does just a little bit of everything to try to make sure the team wins. Yeah. But obviously Tamman's like a pure point guard. Uh, Jake Anderson was kind of a forward, wasn't he? Uh, I don't really know that Jake actually had a true position, frankly, because he, yeah. he, he was not tall. No, no. Tamman is like a, a floor general. He is, that's the kind of point guard that I would describe him as, you know, and I don't know that he'll ever be a big scorer, but like, if you, if someone came to me in a time machine and told me that Tim and Lipsy became like Iowa State's version of Brad Davison, I don't know if that would shock me, you know, like not Mm. in the dirty sense. I mean, like not the way, you know, the annoying things about Brad Davison, but just like (laughs) that steadying rock of a point guard that can just like, that just does. Monte Morris. No, yeah, I'm, Monte Morris. Yeah. I'm looking this up. Jake Anderson. But again, was... not, I, I don't want to compare anybody to Monte Morris. He's arguably yeah. the greatest That's point guard unfair. to ever play right. at Iowa State. So. No, J- J- Jake Anderson oh, was a six foot two point guard. Okay. But he, yeah, he was a guy that, that, uh, yeah, I forget, Jared, how young you are that you forget. <laughs> no, he was a guy that, that could, could, uh, rebound. He, he could distribute the ball. He could do a, uh, he played great defense. Uh, he wasn't necessarily going to be the guy that's going to give you 40 points, but he was going to get give you everything close to a triple-double nearly every single night because he's going to do everything to elevate everyone else's game. Every team needs guys who make winning plays. They're not going to do the flashy stuff, but they're just going to go out there and do the things that win ball games. I think. Yeah. At, at the very least, that's what Taman has the ability to do for our state. Newsflash, I don't know who Jake Anderson is. <laughs> He was like an early Hoiberg era guy, right? <laughs> he was. He was. He was. Uh, he was a transfer from uh, Northern Illinois. I would say. I think he was yeah. in the first. I might have been checked out during those years. I wasn't. He was in the first. I was one of the few guys that thought with, uh, Hoiberg was a was a uh, terrible hire. Oh, that's anyway. Okay, so uh, before we finish up with you, Jared, I did kind of <laughs> want to talk about uh, this uh, recruiting recruiting class that uh, that TJ has coming up because it is. Uh, not just the best Iowa State recruiting class in Iowa State history, uh, but one of the best recruiting classes in the country right now. Um, uh, And we alluded to it earlier, but like what (laughs) in this ever-changing world of, of, of college basketball, what is CJ doing to make this, especially like, 
we haven't talked enough about NIL and, and what that means, right? And, and probably what that means for the transfer market. But like, what is TJ doing to get these guys to, to commit to Iowa State? I mean, again, it comes back to building relationships. Like, I think he's just done such a good job of being able to relate to people and, and build a relationship with them and get them to trust him and uh, to where they want to come and play at Iowa State. And that's every, like, literally every conversation I have with these kids that are getting recruited that's what they're talking about. It's the relationships they build with the staff and the relationship they're able to build with coach TJ and, um, and what the, the vision that they're able to lay out for those guys, I just think is they're doing a really good job of that. And at the end of the day too, for Iowa state, any conversation that starts with NIL probably isn't going to be a long one uh, in recruiting because that's just not, that's just not the way that Iowa state's going to go about their business. So, um, you know, I think, they were able to fill some holes and bring in some guys that really complement each other in this class. I think Milan and, and Omaha are, are perfect fits alongside each other where Milan's more of a, a pure scorer, a guy who can really play on the offensive end. And then Omaha is as good of a defender as you're going to find in all the high school basketball in this class. And, um, you know, it'll be really fun next year to be able to watch them mesh and come together. But uh, obviously a lot of time before then we'll, uh, Got got a whole season to get ready for before that one. No, it's hey, hey, it's been fun to see uh, a lot, both football and basketball, frankly, uh, to see these nationally rated recruits. I mean, like I think back to like the Kirk Heinrich, Nick Collison, Rafe LaFrance days. Like it's been a long time since we've seen like heavily regarded highly rated recruits coming out of the state of Iowa. And it's been fun to see that like there's, there's some real talent in the state of Iowa. Yeah. I think I was, the state of Iowa really goes in cycles where there'll be like a handful of elite guys. And then there'll be some just like really solid players. And then there'll be a handful of elite guys and then solid players and then elite guys. Like, right. I mean, you think back 10 years ago, like they went, there was a stretch where it was where, who all they have. They had Harrison Barnes. Mm-hmm. They had Marcus page. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adam Woodbury was an elite yep. recruit, regardless of what people think about his career at Iowa. When he was in high school, he was an elite level recruit. Um, you know, now and then you look even on the football side, guys like Xavier Wampa and um, and some of those guys I've had out at Southeast Polk. I mean, the state of Iowa's always had talent. The thing that I think is so good now for the kids from the, in the state of Iowa is that they have so many more uh, opportunities for their talent to be accessible. Like I think back to when I was a high school kid, you. Like to play AAU, you had to go to Omaha or you had to go to, you had to drive three hours to Ames every week to do things like that. Like now that, you know, huddle was not a thing. No one could go and find your highlight table on YouTube. There there were, there were, there were, there were scouts coming to to Florinda. No, there were no scouts coming to (laughs) Florinda. Well, okay. I'll take that back. There were, but there were never the ones that like, you know, I mean, it was division three coaches and things like that, which I went and played division three basketball. So it, it obviously that worked out, but uh, you know, I I think there's a lot of kids from down there that, you know, a perfect example of this is Ryan Hawkins, who played at Atlantic, uh, which is in the same conference as Clarendon, mm-hmm. and then was the national uh, division two national player of the year two times, I think, and then went to Creighton, was an all, a first team all Big East player at Creighton. And it's like, those are the kinds of kids that we have in the state of Iowa. We have some really high level athletes, but man, there's not that many opportunities for them to get seen by the high level coaches. So uh anytime that there there can be a couple of those guys that break through that's pretty cool excellent um well shoot jared uh, i think we're more than past our time 
certainly more than our listeners care to listen to Chris or I. Uh, but Chris, do you have Which any other? This is why we bring on better guests than us. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, Chris, did you have any other questions you wanted to ask Jared? Jared, I I, I do want to ask you because something you said earlier in a podcast I found was was fairly intriguing, and we're gonna kind of move off sports here real quick if you have a couple minutes. Is you talked about your outlook about things and how uh, you try to look at more of the positive things and and, and things like that. Um being younger and, and having those types of insights, what would you probably go back 10 years and tell yourself 10, 20, 2012, Jared, what would you go back and tell 2012, Jared about something that is a piece of advice? Man. Um, so you have to think like it come 2012, you know, I would have been going into my freshman year of college, uh, Ed Simpson. Oh, thank God. And I thought you were going to say something like, no, like middle school or something. No, no, no. Uh, yeah, I've been going into my freshman year of college. I think, uh, I think I would have probably told myself to not live in the peaks and valleys so much. I think that that, you know, that's kind of cliche, but I think that was probably one of the things that has, I don't know if it's necessarily held me back in my life, but it's one of those things that I think I've really had to fight through every day you know and um just like you battle through i mean i've i've dealt with you know different mental health things and things like that and that's the one thing i think i'd never trade is that over the last 10 years i've grown a lot you know and you learn a lot of lessons and i i just think that the biggest one is like i really could have kept myself out of some sticky ass situations if i wouldn't have lived in the valleys uh at different times in my life and um not let little things get to me to the level that I did. And, uh, but again, I wouldn't trade any of it because I think it's what makes you who you are. It's what makes you have the perspective that you do. And um, yeah, I don't know. I, sh I think that I could have been happier probably if I had not let myself get torn down sometimes by stupid bullshit. Uh, well said, Jared. I, I really appreciate that. I think uh, mental health is something that Chris and I have both advocated for on this podcast. So I, I appreciate the, those words. Uh, with that, I will say, uh, Jared, is there anything that you would like to plug? Nope. Just uh, listen to CycloneFanatic.com and uh, keep reading our articles and We'll keep trying to give you guys the best content that we can. It's a, it's a blessing to get to do it every day. So I have a lot of fun with it. Well, Jared, we thank you very much for joining us on Old Man Strength. This has yeah. been an absolute pleasure to talk to. I think you're somebody that Chris and I have wanted to talk to for a while. So uh, we're, we're very grateful for your insight. Uh, don't be surprised if we reach out to you in the future and try to uh, steal some, some things from you uh, as we go forward. Hey, anytime fellas yeah anytime i'm, I'm happy to do it and um uh, happy to help anybody out anytime that i can for sure much excellent. appreciated excellent chris anything you want want to uh plug before we yeah i just want to i just want to remind uh our listeners and and uh we have uh at the three beards media launch party uh it's going to be at rebelton distilling company down in osceola september 2nd at 6 30 p.m so we have uh, the crew coming from Bitter Units, from Old Man Strength, WS Twin Warriors. Um, 
We're going to have our sponsors down there, uh, Revelton Distilling. They're going to offer some drinks for us, and you'll be able to come down and check out their tasting room. And then uh, Kyle, hopefully, from Wintrust Mortgage will be down, and we're hoping to get former guests and listeners to come down and just kick off football season, come down, have some drinks, and uh, and get ready to tailgate the next morning. So, Jared, we would love to invite you down to that, too. I realize that's probably a busy weekend for you, but we would love to see you down there as well. And uh, Sorry, I was zoned out for a second. Which weekend is it? <laughs> it's September 2nd, so it's, it's, the, uh, it's the Friday yeah. night before the opener. So Yeah, I would love to, man, but that that's uh... – it, that's a tough swing for me probably that's a busy before. that's a busy weekend for everybody but yeah, yeah yeah no no i no i get it but no yes please come visit us down again i'll have to yeah yes absolutely so we will be at Revelton distilling company at 1400 westlay street in osceola iowa we're very excited to launch a little bit more about what we have going on at three beards media we're very excited with our partners uh at Revelton distilling company and winters mortgage very excited about what we have going on. Uh, we have some more things that we don't have enough information to tease just yet. And oh, then we're teasing. To, we I'm gonna, hopefully I'm, will announce. I'm going to tease things. the tease, and that we have go. some maybe some sports reaction shows, some sports content, some more podcasts coming on the network uh, with maybe some names you might recognize. So we're very excited to have everything that's going on here. Um, a lot of great growing content. Uh, again, guests like Jared that we will again bring on back, whether he likes it or not. Um, we are <laughs> we are very grateful uh, to all of our listeners once again. This has been Old Man Strength, a podcast of Revelton Distilling Company, also brought to you by Wintrust Mortgage. And with that, we will see you guys next time. Thank you.